Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is uh, episode 83 for Thursday, September 15th, 2011. As always, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. How are you this week? All right. Not too bad. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. We had a lot of movies to cover between our last show and this week. We're a little bit late because we also had... The Mid-Autumn Festival holiday. Did you do anything special? Did you eat a lot of mooncake? I ate a lot of mooncake, but it wasn't during the Mid-Autumn Festival. What? You <laughs> broke the tradition. Indie. How no, dare you? I did it up before, and we all, we've been eating mooncakes for like two weeks now in the office. Yeah. So uh, I did I did show a little restraint. I didn't take any of it home. So are you the, so. Are you the traditional mooncake eater, or do you eat the newfangled uh, uh, Bing Pei? style mooncakes, the snowy mooncakes as they're called, or do you go for like the really weird fusiony stuff that you get at uh, Mrs. Fields or Haagen-Dazs? Uh, the thing is, I don't like the yolk in the traditional ones, yeah. but I eat I eat some of those and I'm open to the newer ones as well, so uh, a little bit of both, but the Bing Pei ones, I, I like the, the newer stuff that are not the ice ones, you mm. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like so you don't, you don't like the snowy one. ones that much? Yeah, I tried one uh, on my family dinner. I don't know if you guys saw my Twitter. It's um, the mooncake, the so-called mooncake from the Peninsula Hotel Ooh, here in Hong Kong. Fancy. Yeah. yeah Look I know at you relatives. moving up on the wor- up in the world. Ooh. I don't know how they did it, uh, but my relatives got, got a box, and I tried it. It's more like a pastry with mm-hmm. a milk custard center. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mooncake, but it was damn good. I'll tell you what. Well, let's see. I'm I'm not a big fan of the traditional mooncakes. Uh, I do like a couple of the snowy variations, although though I didn't get any this year um, because uh, the wife was saying that there are news reports saying, oh, they're super full of preservatives and they're finding out, you know, it's just, they're just really bad for you compared to the traditional ones. Um, but I did buy, buy my students the Mrs. Fields. They're, they're like brownie covered in chocolate. Oh, cakes. damn, one of those? Yeah. I got one of those. Um, so I got, a, got a couple of those, gave them to my students, and we've got one sitting in the refrigerator that we haven't touched because they're super rich, they're super sweet, they're super thick. Um, but that is sort of the nature of mooncakes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so chewy that you don't really want to chew them. I, I, I try and explain to my wife that we have a similar thing in the States, and that is the fruit cake where some people like it, but a lot of people don't, and you kind of get them as gifts, and if you don't like it, you end up passing them around to other people instead. Oh, are we downgrading mooncake to fruitcakes now? Uh, no? You don't think so? Not yet? No, no, not yet. Yeah. Mooncake is still fairly pre- well, I think appreciated, even well, though despite it uh, being really unhealthy, but I, don't know, I never got any fruitcakes I gave my, or... my, my wife likes mooncakes. I'm not a big fan. She can eat them. But I gave her a moon pie. When we were in the States, and she hated it. She said it tastes <laughs> like cardboard. So it's, you know, 
uh, east and west, never the twain shall meet, yep. where taste is concerned. But we're not here to talk about mooncakes, but we do hope that everybody out there listening did have a happy mid-autumn festival. Speaking of mooncakes, though, my wife actually got a really interesting gift from her best friend. It was from the shop called G.O.D., which is sort of a high-end uh, design shop that sells stuff here in Hong Kong, and they had a special mooncake. And the mooncakes themselves are shaped in the shape of a butt of oh, yeah, I saw those various uh, types. And you, you buy the box, and I guess there's like about eight different types, and you're not sure. It's one of those things where you're not sure which one you got until you opened it. Um, so we got, a, we got a butt with uh, sort of hands, uh, you know, covering the backs. It's, it's a cute little novel idea, you know, interesting little design concept. I, I took a picture, and I'll try and throw that up on the site later. Um, but moon, but mooncakes are gone, and uh, for the most part, mid-autumn has passed. So we're going to talk about some other stuff like movies, because this is the show where we talk about movies. We talk about film, films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. What films do we have this week, Kevin? Uh, this week on East Screen, we have uh, Love in Space, uh, the ensemble romantic comedy that was shot all around the world and in space. Um, and we have Wong Jing's latest film, Treasure Hunt, starring Cecilia and her kid Lucas. Um, on West Green, we have Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris and Steven Soderbergh's Contagion. All right, all that and more coming up right after some news. All right, uh, we don't want to cover too much news this week because we've got four full movies to cover. Um, but I did get a very interesting article sent in from a friend of the show, Tim Young's. And this article is coming from the South China Morning Post from September 13th, a couple days ago. If you don't have a subscription, the full article is behind a paywall. I can't, I don't technically want to put it up on the website in its entirety because um, that would make the South China Morning Post angry and they might come after me. But I will talk about some of the key points of the article because I think it's interesting and it is very relevant to some of the things we talk about here on the show. Um... It says, Venice Victory raises hopes for Hong Kong cinema after Dini Ip's Best Actress Award at the prestigious festival. Film industry figures debate a possible revival of the once thriving industry. Um, the article goes on to talk about the fact that because Dini Ip has won at the Venice Film Festival, it's reignited this debate on what is needed to sort of, you know, breathe some life into the Hong Kong film industry, if that's even possible. Um, it goes on to say that, uh, she says, the award was unexpected and a very big encouragement. Um, whether I won or not, my wish is the government can give our film industry more funding. Um, I, I think that's a, an interesting kind of uh, wish, but is that going to solve the problem? I mean, because they talk about going to the once vibrant film industry that was never a film industry that was getting its primary funding from the government was it no no not at all it was always a, a commercial industry and i think you know we already have the hong kong film fund and this kind of talk also came up when um echoes of the rainbow one in uh berlin wasn't it yeah and that movie was part partially funded of the hong kong film fund so there was a lot of talk about how the hong kong film fund was helping uh films here but um, as I mentioned during that time, that system is very actually very flawed uh, in terms of helping new people get into the industry. Um, it, it's like a broken record, you know. Always asking for the government for help. The problem is one: you have to train your audience. You have to make better films. Here's one thing. Two: um, 
all the filmmakers, uh, all the big commercial filmmakers actually left Hong Kong for, for movies um, that aim for the mainland because they're forced to do so. So when your audience isn't watching your own films, when mainland Chinese audiences are paying for your films, um, what's the government throwing in money? How is that going to help? You know, they'll throw into money to films that aren't going to make any money and there's no point in really doing that. I think what they're looking for here um, it's not just government funding. You know, Hong Kong, Hong Kong government's already given the, in addition to the Hong Kong Film Fund, there's already the Art, Arts Development Council giving um, funding to independent films. So I think what they're really looking for here is something that's more like the South Korean system, where they had um, a lot of protectionist uh, policies, you know, like the uh, screen quota system, where uh, theaters um, must play local films for a certain amount of time, a percentage of time. I think that kind of policy would help Hong Kong films a little more but you know Hong Kong has always been a very strong free market so you can't really f- uh, force these policy on you know theaters and expect them to just take it so it's, it's kind of a hard hard thing to you know it's really easy to say oh you know someone should give us more money someone should give us more money and uh, it doesn't really work that way hmm. right I, I think there should be they should be working harder on training more young talent. There's a lot of young actors out there who are looking for chances, but film film work is so inconsistent in Hong Kong that they often all turn to to stage acting or independent film. Um, you have young act- actress like Jo Man Chang who, who's been in the industry for like 10 years and finally got her first commercial film role this year in, in, in Over Her 2. So what we need to do is train better young talents instead of keep letting these the old generation telling us how to handle the film industry or tell, telling us what movies to watch or, or, or controlling the, the direction of the industry. That's just, maybe that's just what I think. I don't know if you, you, you feel the same way, Paul. Well, I mean, I, I think it would be great if the government were to increase the funding. I just don't see that act alone being the saving grace of local cinema. Um, you, you don't return to a heyday of commercial cinema by suddenly making it all based on government funding because with that comes all kinds of you know caveats and rules and regulations and restrictions i i think increasing the film funding locally would be great for the industry allowing more projects to get off the ground but i do think that there needs to be more audience involvement and there needs to be more uh, local talent involved but everybody's still under the shadow of the mainland because unfortunately that's where the money is um, and until that changes, I don't think we'll see a, a great revival of the industry. Mm. All right. Uh, second bit of news. Uh, you've got some news for us about My Kingdom. Yes. Um, two big films opened this past weekend in, in China, uh, Love in Space and My Kingdom. Uh, My Kingdom stars uh, two fairly popular pop stars, uh, Wu Jun and also uh, Han Gan, who used to be in Super Junior. So there was, there was a lot of uh, fans' attention, um, you know, pulling together group screenings and such for the film. However, the film underperformed in China with only 22 million RMB uh, over the weekend. And um, a lot of fans have been complaining online about how they were getting, um, they're becoming victims of box office gouging. What happened is that, uh, was that film theaters were 
printing out tickets to different films. This is something that we talked about for a month now since since Wuxia. Essentially, what what uh, theaters were doing, they were printing tickets to other films, say the beginning of Great Revival, and then just handwriting these ticket uh, the the name of the film so that in, on a computer the the records goes to um, the box office money goes to uh, Great Revival instead of My Kingdom. Uh, some other practices include um, printing out no price on the ticket. So then um, there's a so only the minimum ticket price goes to the distributors while the theater gets to keep the rest. Uh, some of the reasons for this is uh, in addition to getting the hidden the so hidden profit is that because uh, begin China Film Group has stopped taking a share of the beginning of Great Revival box office since August 1st uh, in order to help boost the growth because this encourages theaters to line up showings and print out um, possibly fake tickets so then they could get more money. So it, And it's worked uh, publicly for the film because now beginning of Great Revival, uh, box office gross is getting closer and closer to matching founding of the Republic. So the distributor, after hearing all the fans' complaint, uh, they have gathered, they said they have gathered enough evidence and they are planning to file an official complaint with Sarft. Uh, I think this is good. Um, it's a little surprise, not so surprising that it um, pop fans to really get on, get on to stopping this kind of practices. Um, I hope that something will change after this because apparently this kind of um, shady practices from uh, by theaters have been happening for years now. And thanks to you know things like Weibo and um, internet netizens and things like that, uh, you have pretty much film audiences becoming um, these these supervisors. To make sure that um, theaters don't engage in shady practices, so I I hope that something happens out of this. Um, that's all I can hope. Although I'm not really that um, optimistic about changes uh, in the practice in the short run, I hope that this will somehow make the film industry a little more healthier, a little less shadier. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, it would be good for for more transparency in the Chinese film industry. I think. Mm. Have you seen My Kingdom? No, it doesn't open in Hong Kong until the 22nd, and I haven't had... I don't think a movie with two male pop stars was really worth a trip to the to Shenzhen, so <laughs> I would just wait until next week. No offense to Hangang fans. No offense to... I don't think any Hangang fans or Wujin fans are listening, uh, unless David uh, on the chat room or Matt. I, I, I can't even tell which one is which. One of them's from Fahrenheit, right? Yeah, the one's from Fahrenheit, and the other sued his way out of Super Junior. So <laughs> they're both former boy band members. So, you know, you have plenty of fans supporting them with film, which is more surprising why it did not so well. Apparently, the film lost 20% of the box office to this kind of practices. Mm. So this is really affecting the film industry and 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 the films themselves. So that'll be out here this time next week, and then we'll cover it here on the show in uh, two weeks. Yep. So we'll look forward to that. Uh, final bit of news about Chaeyun Fact. Yes, uh, Chow Yun-fat has been on a roll with pretty major uh, major character, playing really major historical characters, including Confucius. Now he's signed on to play uh, Cao Cao, an older version of Cao Cao in a new film. Uh, it doesn't have an English title yet, so the Mandarin title is Tong, Tong Jue Tai. Um, the last, film... last played by Zhang Wen, right? Yes, last play. Cao Cao was last played by Zhang Wen in The Lost Placement. So now, um, and that was kind of a prequel to, I guess, the Cao Cao character in Red Cliff. So this one will be Chan Fat playing Cao Cao, I guess, post Red Cliff uh, in his later years. 
there's not too much details about the film. Apparently, it will be one of those. It seems like it will be getting um, kind of a Confucius uh, treatment, even though you have a lot of the same court intrigue uh, and father and son relationship and love and things like that. Um, other casting include, I mean, there's a Korean actor involved and also um, a Japanese actor, Tamaki Hiroshi, who played, who was in Nodame Cantabile. Uh, also, Alex Su, Yanni. Those, um, according to the director, those stars have already signed on. Oh, and Roy Chun from uh, Young and Dangerous oh, Franchise. Okay. Uh, the film will start shooting in October and apparently will come out probably by National Day next year. So, um, what do you think, Paul? Uh, Charon Fat? Uh, after Confucius, now doing Cao Cao. Yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, you know, beginning of the Great Revival, he was okay. Um, the film wasn't okay, but I think what he was doing and as Yan Shikai was fine. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see him in it. Hopefully it's uh, a step up from Confucius. Yeah, I uh, hope so. I mean, not Confucius. not just like the old guy going from province to province like <laughs> Confucius did, right? Like like the, the poor guy who's really good at his job and gets kicked around different yeah. departments because of jealousy. Yeah, I don't I don't think Cao Cao the only is thing is is, really is like that, that, you know it's they say he's gonna play old Cao Cao. I mean, m- most of what I understand of the character and the popularity of those stories is it's when he's dealing with people like Liu Bei and. Uh, and uh, Guan Gong and, and, you know, the others, th- those are sort of the most popular times. I, I, mm-hmm. As I understand the, the narrative or the history, you know, for as, as close as the actual events are to the narrative, you know, he basically beat everybody. Uh, you know, he's, he's kind of like the villain of the story for the most part, but he basically wins, right? Mm-hmm. He, despite what Redcliffe was, would, would lead us to believe, right? Um he he's sort of the victor towards the end, but then is that is that part really, you know, is the end really that interesting? I don't know. Um, yeah, and you know, Charon Fats be playing the role means he won't really do well. Okay, he was a villain in Let the Bullets Fly, but I think this role is almost too having an actor, you know, the stature of Charon Fat. It's you almost expect him to play it like Confucius. Yeah, I don't know why Confucius I mean, keep popping right, in my head. You know, he has the. I think he has the ability to bring some dimension to it. It's really going to depend on the script. Yeah. All right, we've got two films for East Screen this week. First up, uh, the latest from director Tony Chan, Wing Xia, Love in Space. Um, now, this is credited sort of as a sequel in parts to hot summer days do i have that correct kevin uh kind of a follow-up yeah, same it's, it's a follow-up uh, it's not really yeah. directly related to any of the stories got some of the same actors some some new actors as well um the story basically follows th- the th- three daughters three three sisters if you will um all basically named after flowers you have one sister named lily another sister named peony and another sister named rose um, Rose is an astronaut and she's actually up in space and I guess that's where they derive the title from Love in Space and unfortunately Rose has been stuck on this mission with an ex-boyfriend an ex-flame uh, and so the two of them are confined on the space station and needing to do their mission unfortunately um, they both still have feelings for each other and need to work through them um, Peony on the other hand played by Angela Baby is an actress and she is considered the worst actress uh, in China 
And I, I'm guessing they're poking fun a little bit at some mainland actresses, but maybe Kevin can talk a little bit more about that um, a little bit later. Uh, but basically, she is she receives the Worst Actress Award, and she decides she's going to remake herself. She's going to become the best actress she possibly can and come back and win the Best Actress Award. So for her next role, she needs to play a uh, barista or a waitress in a coffee shop. And so she decides to go undercover and learn what it is to be a real person because she's always been sort of this uh, iconic actress and uh, so somewhere between actress or idol and a langmo, I guess. So she's always had attention and she's never really known what it is to do real work. So she decides she's going to get a real job. And there she bumps into a young aspiring writer um, who and the two of them sort of uh, hit it off. And then the third story with uh, Guilan Mei and Eason Chan um, is the story where Eason is basically a garbage man. Uh, he's inheriting the family business. Him and his father have a series of garbage trucks called Chan and Sons. And I, I, I make this note because the way they did the logo design, it looks like Chan and the and is like the ampersand sort of, but the ampersand is sort of designed like an E. So it kind of looks like Chan Eason on the side of the garbage truck. Yeah, I, thought, I love that one. I thought yeah, it was kind of, kind of kind of a neat design. Um, and his father is Gordon Liu, which he has a small role, but it was nice to see him there. But basically, Eason is a, a garbage man, and he's kind of proud of that. But he has a problem. Anytime a girl he dates finds out what his job is, they instantly pull back in revulsion, and they decide to uh, ditch him on the very first date. Uh, but one day he meets a young girl... Uh, you know, Lily, played by Guilin May. And unfortunately, Lily has this sort of OCD. She's a super neat freak. And the two of them um, find themselves attracted to each other, but can they possibly have a relationship since one person is a garbage man and the other person uh, is a neat freak? Um, and so th that sets up sort of the three stories of the three sisters. The film jumps around uh, back and forth. In any time you have sort of an anthology like this, not all stories are equal. Um, this was my feeling with Hot Summer Days. I liked some of the stories as opposed to others. And I think that, you know, that's just to be expected. Uh, the big problem here is Aaron in space. Um, Aaron <laughs> needs to be shot with some gamma rays or something so that he can turn into the thing or Mr. Fantastic. Because basically the space sequences are not very good. Um, it's not really Aaron's fault. He's, he's, he's kind of being a goofball. Um, you know, the, the, the film tries to be clever, but unfortunately it's just using wire work to show zero gravity. It doesn't really work in some of the shots because you see some things that should be looking, acting like they're in zero gravity and they're not. Um, Obviously, doing something like that, a sort of a 2001 style sequence, is, is probably inexpensive, probably more than the budget they had for this film. That's understandable. It's a, it's a solid attempt, but they just get it wrong, and it ends up being one of the weakest sequences. It's also um, weak because the character of Rose, played by Renee Liu, um, she becomes this quivering girl at a certain point, you know, who just, you know, she's like, oh, I want to be taken care of by a man. She's an astronaut. You know, she's got, she's obviously got to have a PhD in astrophysics or something to be an astronaut on a space station. Um, but 
they never really get into that dimension of the character. It just simply, she just simply becomes sort of the romantic foil here. Um, so it could have been really well done if done right, but instead they just go for the sort of the simple stereotypical uh, love story. They could have done this same thing on, you know, a ship at sea or at, at an ice station in Alaska or some other place where these two characters are confined and it would have worked better because they wouldn't have had to rely on creating the space effects, which they obviously didn't have the budget to do. Um, that being said, you know, the chemistry between Aaron and, and Renee was okay. It's just you, you're constantly seeing these other sort of extraneous effects that are not working well, that are not shot well, and that sort of takes away from their narrative. Um, so that's the weakest of the stories. I think my favorite of, of, of the stories was probably the Eason and Guilin May story. I, I really wanted to see more of that one. That one actually, I think, is taking place in Australia. Sydney, um, yes. In Sydney, yeah. And so they did a lot of the film, the principal filming down there, and they channel switch back and forth you know, between English and Chinese. And I really was interested in the dynamic of these two characters, you know, a guy who's basically, you know, a job as a garbage man and this girl who has OCD. I think they could have expanded that. I would have, wouldn't have minded seeing a whole movie just based on the two of them. Um, the Angela Baby and Bora and Jing story, not all that interesting, kind of predictable. Um, you, you've probably seen similar stories where, you know, a pretty girl goes undercover, meets, meets the young struggling guy kind of a thing. Uh, um, you know, ultimately her true identity has to be revealed at some point. Um, but it, it was okay. By the end, uh, the stories all end up coming together. And, you know, because the girls are all from the same family. And I think they meet for a mid-autumn meal uh, at the end. So it's kind of a made-for-mid-autumn story. And um, at some point the, in, the, in, the, in the space one... Aaron and Renee's character end up on the moon. And I was like, how did they get down there? Um, but they don't explain a lot of well, this stuff. Well, so. according to Kozo, the, um, actually it's kind of clever because the Mid-Autumn Tale or the whole story behind Mid-Autumn Festival is, is about two lovers reuniting on the on moon. The moon yeah. yeah, so it's, it, I think I see why they had to do... One, space is nice to see and it's a good selling point. And two, I guess they were kind of sort of aiming for a mid-autumn story which yeah. is why did this space thing yeah well and I, I mean but they do obvious things they rip the 2001 um space odyssey music uh, alpha spaghetto I, I can never remember the name of it but the, the iconic music that plays Danube, yeah. yeah um they, they've got that all over the place in there um so it's you know it's 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 fair to midland you know two two out of three isn't bad and I think that was kind of my same feeling with Hot Summer Days. So um, I'd say uh, my final verdict is, is see it for the two out of the three stories and, and just try and bear through the, the uh, Aaron and Renee story. Um, but also, you've got to see it for the Golden Rock's Golden Words. Because mm -hmm. you, sir, uh, actually did the subtitling for this film. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, sure. Uh, in May, end of May, I was actually approached... Um, Thanks to a certain couple of friends of the show, uh, they referred uh, me to do the dialogue list for for the film. So I actually got to read. I didn't get to see the film before while I was doing it. I just got to see the final script, and I got to see a dialogue list. 
Um, so I pretty much did those things in three days. Of course, my my subtitles ended up getting one third of it was edited for for you know for grammar and things and typos and things like that. But yeah, I can't I can't really review the film on the show because um, while I was watching the film, I was one because I know what was cut out. Uh, the film actually had about I think twenty to thirty minutes of it cut out. To, to make it more uh, commercially viable. It ran over two hours. Um, so I know what was cut out. So I'm, I was noticing what was cut out and I was trying to read my own subtitles. Um, the final result was not exactly what I expected. It was a little rushed considering what I've seen. Um, there is cer- several lines cut out. There's a whole thing about actually Eason's character trying to read Chinese to he could learn more Chinese, which is why he spoke English all the time. Um, and all the stuff that are in English, all the English lines are actually very clearly written on a script. So they're actually really following the script instead of just kind of throwing it out there. Um, so I can't really judge the film subjectively, but um, compared to what I saw, read, read, and watched here, I can say that it's a little disappointing for me. Um, even though I still really enjoy, like you said, I enjoy two of the... I, I too enjoyed the 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 Guilin May and uh, Ethan Chan's storyline. I kind of like the Angel Baby one uh, because it's kind of cute. The space one, yeah, definitely did not turn out that well because essentially Renee Liu, I think both Renee Liu and Naren Kwok kind of miscast. I never thought they were really right for the role. And she, who is she against in Hot Summer Days? Uh, it was uh, Jackie Chan? Uh, Jackie Chan, which yeah. is a much better one. It's a much better partner. Um, just from the aura, I guess. And two, the story fit her age more and her, her persona a little more. Here, she's this, you know, this, this love-lorn little girl type, you know, who is like the older sister. And I, I think maybe Gooey would have been, I mean, Gui Lun <laughs> as we call her Gooey, uh, would have been my work better. But, you know, Gooey is Gooey. So she actually is quite good for all three roles anyway. Um but yeah, that's kind of my rough review for the film. I enjoyed the experience um, because I learned a lot about well how to subtitles and 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 things like that. Um, yeah, um, I will. Yeah, so my name shows up at the end of the film, so you can see. So I was crit- properly credited. I was properly everything was proper, and yeah, that's my experience working as a subtitler for this film. All right, you're moving up in the world, as I said before. Um, I'm so just yeah, really glad. I'm just really appreciative to Fox for the opportunity. So, yeah. so Love in Space, um, worth worth a shot if you get a chance to see it. Um, and uh, hopefully, you won't be as uh, as down on the space part as I was. But I'm a bit of a sci-fi geek, so maybe I take and, that too seriously. And I really do hope that um, a director's cut ends up. Of course, probably not, just because. Um, the film is in a huge success, and there was never any any indication that the film was that long, so it was kind of a rough cut. Well, maybe uh, those scenes will make it into like uh, you know special features or something. Maybe because I mean, twenty thirty minutes is a lot of stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, next e screen film for this week, Treasure Hunt. So, Mr. Ma, why don't you take us through Treasure Hunt? Oh dear. Um, Treasure Hunt is the latest film from director writer. Um, Sometimes actor Wang Jing. Um, this is Cecilia's second film. I think is the second film after her comeback. Uh, after yeah, she uh, was in the, well. the New Year New Year film. Yeah. yeah, so it is her second film, and un- it has the unfortunate timing of coming out just after um, her divorce from Nicholas Say was announced. Uh, here she plays um, a commercial, up and coming commercial director uh, who is about to pick up a major job uh, directing a commercial with. Um, 
a major martial arts star played by Ronald Chang. Of course, the price to pay is she has to go on a uh, kind of an isolated island with him and also leave her family behind in Beijing. Uh, her husband is played in a cameo by Yi Chan and her son, of course, played by her real-life son, Lucas. Um, of course, she didn't want to go, but this is her big chance uh, because the boss is offering her a ch- uh, funding to make her feature film, her kids' film, so she decides to take the job. Uh, but what she doesn't know is that there are three... A very rich bad guy, I guess, <laughs> with a bunch of cronies also going to the island to look for a hidden treasure uh, that was apparently hidden by a pirate a long time ago. So the whole film is um, about this group of the filmmakers and uh, the, the martial arts star, uh, the manager who was playing Wang Jing, and their kids all on this island trying to fight the bad guys and, and hunt for treasure. Um, this is apparently Wang Jing's attempt at a kid's film, which is kind of blasphemy because I mean, Wang Jing making a kid's film. That's, who thought that was possible? Uh, and of course, the result is a lazy excuse for a kid's film. Um, I hate to say it, uh, external reasons, uh, external factors that affect the enjoyment of the film, but it's really hard to in- imagine Cecilia as a devoted wife and mother after everything that's happened. So... Uh, just having that in my head kind of make none of this her character convincing at all. But she does try her best here. Um, she is a, a professional actress, and she tries her best with what she's given. But what she said publicly last week at the premiere about the script sucking, uh, she was right. I hate to say it, she was right. Uh, it was a bad idea to say next to you know the writer-director, uh, but she was right. Um, the film has little imagination, Um it seemed it just felt like Wang Jing was thinking that kids are stupid, so he just pandered to them by making the script as, as, as I guess, unintelligent as possible. Uh, as possible, um, it's just a whole bunch of uh, slapstick humor put together, and everyone overacting, uh, including Wano Chang, who is doing this really crazy amped up thing here. He's who is kind of like a a combination of Donnie Yen and Jackie Chan, except. It's Ronald Chang. I mean, who who's, who really ever buy him as a martial arts star? Anyway, well, no, no, um, no. I would. You, I, I mean, he has the he has the the physical ability, but he doesn't have that. He doesn't look like a martial arts star at all. No, but I mean, I, I and I've said this before, and this is one of the notes I was going to talk about. Since Fatal Contact, I would I've been dying for him to take on another, you know, serious or. or, or somewhat serious uh, martial arts role I think that he could pull it off with the right script I think that the thing is he's been typecast now um, as a comedy actor um, it's kind of both his gift and his curse I mean he, he kind of saw revival or he came back he had a career comeback because of his comedic roles and now he can't get out of them so here he's forced to do this whole clownish clownish thing where he's going over the top and even though he's supposed to be this major star and it's I was never really convinced by his character here I don't know if you you agree. I mean, he does, like you said, he does have the physical ability. He shows a lot of physical ability here as an uh, action, action actor. Well, the, well the, you know, the, the action choreography in this film was sorely lacking, even oh. even the serious action scenes. Yeah, yeah. It, because, well, the whole thing has very little imagination involved. Uh, like it's, it's watching, it's pandering and thinking that kids are dumb so he can just dumb everything down and somehow that works. But the problem is that the film has, for adventure film, there's very little feeling of adventure you never feel like you know 
there there's certain parts where they're endangered. There's like man eating plants and 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 um like Indiana Jones like trap, but there's no feeling that they're ever in real danger or there's any real adventure. And for a kids' film, that's really a touch of death. Yeah. You're really just boring the kids out with this kind of these 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 tiresome so-called action sequences. Um, so it, none of it really worked, and I was just kind of. I wasn't really engaging with it, and it ran. It felt really long, and it just wouldn't end. Um, Lucas, he's only in I think two or three scenes, uh, and he can't even speak properly yet. And I don't think he even speaks one word of Chinese. So most of his lines included like "Ah, me, I that that kind of thing. So obviously, Lucas is a money grab. Um, and of course, with all that's happened, you just kind of feel sorry for him as you're watching it. Um, and to show that hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, so we ported according to Steven Seal on Weibo, and he says it is true, and with, there's evidence to prove it and everything. Cecilia turned down a Derek E film to be in this film because Wang Jing was offered her more money. So she, instead of you know having artistic integrity and you know being a good film and all, she decided to do this film because probably uh, Wang Jing was offering a lot of money for her and Lucas to be in the film, and the film's box office gross hasn't probably hasn't been paid for her salary yet. So, um, kind of a bad career towards Cecilia, uh, and uh, just kind of kills her commercial. I think it just kind of kills her commercial uh, viability from here on out. So, but I had to say it, but she kind of deserves it because it's a very, very bad film, even for a Wang Jing film. So, um, I wrote in the notes uh, with all capital letters, flee, flee it, flee. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, the um, this is all right. I just I, I stopped taking notes like a third of the way in. <laughs> um, I, I just said forget the notes. This movie is just plain sucky, uh, which is sad. You know, Wong Jing did Future X Cops, right? Also a kind of a kids film. This film makes that film look amazing. Um, this was just it was a, it it was like he was trying to mix the Goonies. And Home Alone, you know the Goonies. You have the the kids going off to find this treasure. The, the you got the whole treasure map aspect, but then there's just weirdness. Um, the there's a guy. One of the characters uh, is living on this island with his son. In in one scene, he shows up on the mainland. You know, he he's trying to live a green life. He wants to be away from there. There's sort of this anti-pollution message which is kind of interesting, but he's trying to live a green life. So he lives isolated on this island with his son. But at one point he shows up um, in, in the main city where the crew is getting ready to leave from. And, you know, he gets involved with them there for a moment. And so the, the crew then takes boats to the island and then the guy's on the island. But when the boats are sunk or something later... They have no way to get off the island. How did that guy get on the island? Because he didn't <laughs> go with the crew. I mean, there's just lots of flaws in the logic and, you know, lots of problems with the narr narrative because, again, Wang Jing is is thinking that this is just going to cater to kids. And I tried to seriously put myself in a kid's mindset because I enjoy cartoons. Um, I enjoy watching, uh, you know, cartoon shows on TV uh, as, as films. Um, and, and a well-done cartoon, you know, that's made to appeal to kids, I can en enjoy as well. So I try to put myself in that mindset, and, and it's just not a fun film. I don't think kids would enjoy it. The kid actors are not that good. Um, 
you do have Eakin here as the husband, but he's just in sort of a very small role. He shows up at the beginning uh, and at the end. Um, but Lucas, I mean, he's not even acting. Yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't act at all. He, he's a toddler. He can't, he's not given he, he's just not given any any kind of lines or anything. It's basically they start rolling the camera and mommy's there talking to him saying, Lucas, Lucas, look at this, Lucas, Lucas, you know, and he's just reacting to whatever mommy's doing. So he's not really acting. It's 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 very it's kind of exploitative and, and cheap at the same time. Um, it makes me really wonder about her choice for doing this and, and why she's doing it. Does she really need the money? Um, I, 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 I kind of doubt that. I don't know. And knowing if you know what happened to her with the Edison, you know, photo gate and all of that. And then now with the divorce and all the media attention that she gets, you would think that as a mother, the last thing she would want is to have her child going through that because she's gotten so much negative press in the past, you know, five years since that scandal, you would think that she'd want to totally kind of keep him away from that and, and doing anything and having anything to do with paparazzi and, and um, you know, sort of being in the spotlight. But here she is putting her child who cannot act in, in, in the center. And I, I have a hard time understanding it, but then again, I'm not a superstar. So she's really fallen a long way since uh, the, what was it, the King of Comedy with uh, Stephen Chow. And, you know, back then, watching that film, I thought she had super great potential. And looking at films like, uh, what was the one she did with uh, Lao Ching Wan? Um, About the minibus. Lost in Time. Lost in Time. You know, she, she's got, you know, some good acting chops when she's got good direction and a good script. Why she made this deal to get her on this film and her son in this film, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. And it's really, really the wrong direction. So um, hopefully she's learned her lesson and she'll you know, pull herself out of it and get back to doing some serious work and let her kid be a kid and well, not a child in star. In defense of Lucas, according to Cecilia, Lucas is improvising because the script sucks so much. Ha ha ha. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you know, it's okay to say these kind of things. It's yeah. like a joke, but the fact that she really pulled out Lucas improvising and watched the film, yeah, and he, he looks like he's in a he's any in a, child a, you no put in front of the in any child you put in front of a camera and go look, look, look is improvising. Okay, yes. <laughs> that's just kids. I, I yeah. yeah. Anyway, just what a nightmare. Flee it, flee it, flee it. Spend yes. not a dime unless you get it for free. Waste not your time. Uh, all right. Got that out of our system. East Green, West Green. It is time for some West Green films. We've got two West Green films to cover. The first up is uh, Midnight in Paris from director Woody Allen. Uh, his latest feature, Making the Rounds on the International Circuit. Um... I believe this was released earlier in the States back in May, but it's only making its way to Hong Kong now. I don't know why it was so slow getting here. I guess maybe they thought the local audience wouldn't take to it, but the theater I saw it in was kind of packed, and uh, you know, I went and saw it because I'd heard many, many good things. 
I have to say up front, I'm not a Woody Allen fan. Um, I don't really like him as a person. I, 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 I don't know him as a person, but, you know, I just think that some of the stuff that he's done is kind of jerky. And I know he's a good director, but that's not an excuse for jerky behavior. Um, well, we've talked about that, that kind of thing before with like Roman Polanski and whatnot. Um, but you know, this is, was a really good film. I loved this film. Uh, and, and I, and I don't say that lightly. Um, basically it's the story of a guy named Gil Pender played by Owen Wilson, who is on a trip to France, uh, with his fiance, uh, played by Rachel McAdams. And he's finding he's falling in love with with Paris, uh, the, the city, the style. He's he's have, having dreams, romantic notions of moving there and living in a country cottage and and writing and, and getting in touch with his inner artist. He works as a screenwriter and he's apparently rather good at his job. Um, he's in demand, but he finds that the type of writing that he does is not very fulfilling and he wants to get uh, into a deeper place, uh, as an artist. His wife doesn't really, um, support his vision that much, and she's not really into, um, Paris, and she doesn't seem to really feel the same kind of inspiration that he does about, about the city. Um, and so, as the two are sort of exploring uh, the town, they end up uh, separating a few times, because he likes to go, you know, go off on walks in the evening, one evening, he gets into a strange, old-fashioned uh, taxi cab, and before he knows it, um, he's actually in um, an ancient time in Paris, uh, the turn of the turn of the uh, uh, just after the turn of the twentieth century, and he starts encountering uh, some quite famous artistic people—people people like Cole Porter, um, Zelda, and uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and Ernest Hemingway. Uh, Gertrude Stein, people that if you haven't taken an art appreciation class or a creative writing class or some other arts classes in a while, you probably may not be familiar with. But if you have an artistic background, um, you will find yourself tapping into some of those things you learned. Uh, and so his encounters with these people sort of in their heyday, in their prime, um, you know, he, he, he starts to get more inspiration um, as an artist and he, he gets more inspired and he starts working on his his manuscript and he starts learning about these characters and their lives during this period uh, and he thinks he's you know very happy because he's always felt he's, he's always saying you know I, the I want to live back in a golden age um, you know when you had all these artistic creative minds together um, and that's sort of the message of the film is that you know, if you're suddenly in that golden age, do the people who are in that golden age know that that's a golden age or not? You know, and we, as human beings, we always tend to think of, uh, you know, um, nostalgically on earlier times. And, you know, it was, it was better when. I remember seeing a local um, drama, stage drama, political stage drama called East Wing, West Wing, which is uh, kind of where I based the name of this show. A little bit. Uh, East Wing, West Wing is a, a political satire on local politics, and I remember seeing the very first one. I want to say back in two thousand and two, and they were very critical of the then chief executive Tong Chihua. Um, and every year they do a new show, and they've actually got a TV series now 
um, on the, on I think ATV World on the weekends, um, doing you know these political gags and political satire. But I want to say you know four or five years later when Donald Tsung became chief executive, um, they actually did a skit where they were saying they wished Tung Chi Hua would come back because things had gotten so worse, you know, that they used to criticize Tung Chi Hua, but now they want him back. So it's that, it's that kind of idea that's at work here um, in Midnight in Paris. And just the, the, the portrayals of the different artists, you know, maybe maybe they're off, but I think they're interesting. And, and the dialogue here um, is really top-notch. And there are lots of cameos, both from the artistic side and from, you know, the actors playing them. Uh, Adrian Brody, who I think I last saw in... Uh, predators uh pops up as uh salvador dali as he likes to say and i thought he was great and um you've got you know t.s Eliot and just lots of people that you'll probably recognize some of them you may not know all of them but it's just a really really good film uh if you're into arts art history or um just have an artistic mind um kevin what did you think of this film um Oh, well, okay. In defense of its distributor, uh, Golden Scene. Golden Scene is bringing in Woody Allen films. Actually, they're, they're like the exclusive Woody Allen uh, distributor here in Hong Kong for the last, I don't know, good 10 years, I guess, since their inception. Um, give, to their credit, they've done a very good job in launching this film. Actually, there's the shortest gap, I think, I can remember between a Woody Allen film opening in America and opening here. They used the Hong Kong International Film Festival as a as a launching pad, and they've actually done really well in promotion, which is po- probably why your your cinema was packed. Um, I know I know for a fact that the 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 owner of Golden Sea, Winnie Zhang, really loves Woody Allen, which is why she brings every every one of his films here. So I, I give a little bit of credit to them for helping making this Woody Allen film a success because Woody Allen is not really a big enough name for every film he 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 has he does here. Um, anyway, so Woody Allen does fantasy. It's kind of interesting. I have not caught up on Woody Allen's older films. Um, I, you know, I do like him as a writer. Uh, I watched uh, the last Woody Allen film I watched. I think was Whatever Works, which was kind of funny, light. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's interesting here because he's doing fantasy here. Um, Owen Wilson is the is the guy who channels him this time, um, following in the tradition of. Actors like Kenneth Branagh uh, and I don't know other actors. Um, and Woody, I think he's, Woody Allen. Woody Allen, of course, <laughs> channeling himself, obviously. Uh, but he's always, you know, when he needed younger characters, he always had to care like the actors channel him. And this time, it was the first time Owen since doing this, and you know, he's fairly likable, and even does it without too much Woody Allen text, if you know what I mean. Because yeah. Kenneth Branagh, when he did Celebrity, when you see a trailer, you can tell, oh my God, he's doing Woody Allen. Um, of course. In all, as always, in a Woody Allen movie, it's really talky. There's a lot of talking, uh, especially since you have all these um, historic character, historical characters. Uh, but I really enjoyed adding the fantasy element into it. It makes it that much more interesting. It kind of makes, it, makes the script jump out of the paper and onto the screen. Uh, it makes it visually worth watching. Um, but okay, it's really time to brush up on your art slash literature slash film history. Uh, Louis Brunel, there's also... Uh, there's this whole joke about being, these people being surrealists, and I think <laughs> I, I was kind of I, I laughed. Um, I even I couldn't catch all these references. I was like Gertrude Stein, who is this? Um, so I was kind of halfway there. Um, if you understand what's happening, it's a really delightful film. Um, even though you know it's complete fiction, and these characters can't really be like that in real life, um, it's really interesting, especially Ernest Hemingway. 
Um, just his style. Everyone, I laughed at every one of his lines, and I think I was the only one who did it. But just something in the way he, uh, the actor, uh, I don't really have the name right now, but the way the, his lines were or the way they were delivered, it's, it was really hilarious. Um, but if you don't, you might kind of think that Woody Allen's uh, like an art slump, um, which is kind of ironic because the there's a, a character in the film who is always pointed out as like a pseudo intellectual who thinks he knows it all and likes to point a lot. And, and what's that character's to... name? Uh, was that me? No, no. Paul. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, what the heck? Yes. <laughs> uh, no, don't worry. I don't. I didn't. I didn't confuse him. With you know that Paul. character. Um, I, I want to say. Uh, it's the film Annie Hall. Um, I think we talked about this before too. The guy who talks about Marshall McLuhan. Yeah, it's like they're yeah. standing in line, and the guy's like, "I know about Marshall McLuhan," and and, da, da, da. Yeah. and Woody Allen breaks the fourth wall, and he starts saying, "You know, um, you know, you don't know Marshall McLuhan. I've got Marshall McLuhan right here," and he he like pulls him out, and Marshall McLuhan berates the guy. Yeah, that that's sort of a, a common thing that I think he likes to do is 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 having people who you know talk big and are actually brought down by the people they talk big about. And yeah. it doesn't really happen directly here. In, in this case, it sort of happens through the experiences of, um, of the character Gil by Owen Wilson. Um, and I think Owen Wilson did a fine job, but at the same time, he's still just being Owen Wilson, mm-hmm. um, which, you know... Owen Wilson and Woody Allen mixed in together. Yeah, I, yes, it's... Yeah. You get you get a little bit of Woody Allen in there, but but for a lot of it, it's just Owen Wilson. You know, he's like, uh, you know, I, I I kept waiting for a dude to come out at any point. Um, hmm. and I was like, oh yeah, I, I really lo- would love living in Paris, dude. You know, it's just um, he's he's fine. Uh, I I was just more taken by the encounters with the artists. I would say, yeah, but, definitely. Um, but do you think that if you if you don't know these characters, these you know, say you. F. Scott Fitzgerald, who is he? You know, who is that guy? You know, Dolly, who is he? Would you think people like that would kind of think the movie's a little? Yeah, I, I'd say that if you don't, if you really don't know who these people are, um, especially some of the the key ones like Ernest Hemingway, um, or uh, Gertrude Stein, that your appreciation of the film will be much much less. Yeah, but then. The main lesson about, like you said, about um, actually it's kind of a surprise, but, but yeah, the whole thing about look nostalgia and and how nostalgia is kind of pointless, and it's kind of something that you do to escape the present. I I really love that theme. I really like love the message. It kind of hit it kind of hit at me out of nowhere. I didn't really expect that to yeah. come out, and I that then that's when the film really and hit the out. way they did it, um, I thought was really clever too. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that was yeah, but it, it was it was great when they did it, and that actually that was a time when I didn't understand. That's when I didn't understand what was going on until they actually told me, because I didn't know about the history, so I was a little confused at that part. But yeah, you're right when, when that that thing hit, it was like whoa, yeah. like it finally the movie really hit, um, from a really light comedy into something that actually has weight. Um, but even then, it's still. You know, people calling it one of the best films of the year. I don't know. It's a really light movie. It's a really enjoyable film. I really have fun with it. I'm not sure if a, a kind of a flight of fancy film like this can really be, you know, one of the best films of the year. Uh, it still kind of has flaws. It's a little talky, and the some of the dialogue is almost too on the nose, uh, especially when delivering characters. It's a little weak at points, but I really, really enjoyed it. So if you know 
if you have you're fairly confident about your art history, I would say definitely see it when you have a chance. Yeah. So that's Midnight in Paris. All right. Our final film this week for West Screen is the SARS remake or retake or something along that line. That is the film called Contagion, uh, which I haven't had a chance to get out and see. But uh, Kevin, you've seen it, so take it away. Yes, sir. Um, Contagion is um, the latest film from Steven Soderbergh, who apparently may or may not be retiring. Um, depends on what day of the week it is. Um, so the film is kind of a traffic-like take on... Um, if, I guess almost see the pitch would be like traffic meets outbreak because it takes an idea about a killer virus spreading around the world. And essentially what Soderbergh does is cast a very wide net to cover um, multiple layers of the crisis from the people in WHO who um, represented by the Marion Colatar character um, to down the CDC um, represented by characters played by Lawrence Fishburne, uh, a field agent, investigated agent played by Kate Winslet, um, and a researcher played by um, an actress I can't, I don't recall right now, but actually has a very big role. Uh, down to um, the people who are affected on the street level, uh, played by Matt Damon, who's um, who who actually whose wife, uh, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, is actually one of the first victims of the virus. Um, also, you have um, a, a, a researcher, a private researcher, who 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 makes a very big breakthrough with the virus. Uh, and Jude Law playing a blogger. Hey, one of those, um, like a TMZ style kind of blogger who, who is out to, who claims to be out to uh, un, uh, expose some kind of government conspiracy um, with the drug companies and things like that. So it's a very wide net. Um, part of it is shot in Hong Kong, I have to note, uh, because uh, according to the story, the, the virus um, starts started either in Macau or Hong Kong. So you saw, so you would see um, former Shine member Trey Tin Yao, um, who plays one of the first victims. Also, Josie Ho plays uh, her his his sister. But um, these two were only featured in the first five minutes of the film. They were gone really quickly. Um, they kind of relegate. They're relegated to characters in a montage. Sadly, how much how um, much does Hong Kong actually? make up of the film Hong Kong actually makes up a surprising surprising amount because it's such a it's pretty much ground zero for the virus um, so there's a good portion of it shine Hong Kong I've heard one third but I would maybe say 20 to 30 percent mm. um, Hong Kong is not really convincingly shot here um, it looks great you know shot it's shot in the red it's shot digital um, they converted the jumbo into a casino which looks great they went to check O and turn part of it into mainland China so that looks great as well um, a lot of the, the, the landscape views looks great visually, um, but it's not really portrayed accurately because one of the plot threads deals with um, people in a rural village. And the way they designed the rural village is that they put they have a outdoor, like a missionary school, you know, like a, like a building with a roof, but without the four walls and, and, and a cross right on top of it. And I, it, <laughs> me, it was like, there's, there's Che, but with Chinese people. What's going on? Like, I've been to villages. I've yeah. been to these villages. They don't have churches. They do not. They have walls. They have windows. People can afford them. And even, fact, even the old, old schools are all shut down. I mean, the buildings are still there, but nobody goes to school at them anymore. Right. I mean, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to make Hong Kong look like Cambodia or something. But, so, you know, one-fifth of our population may be below the poverty line, but we're not that poor. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, 
that's my little thing. So it's a little ethnocentric, but um, le- nevertheless, if you just see it as a film without thinking about the West and East and things like that, it's it's a pretty gripping film. Um, sometimes it's really scary um, portrayal of such a situation, not because you know there's zombies or anything. We talked about this uh, before in a you know last Saturday when we saw each other. Um, it's fairly real. There's no, you know, sick people running around, scaring people or anything like that. Um, instead, it's it's more like a very simmering, dreadful feeling that goes out throughout the film. You're kind of creeped out, um, but not by, you know, the sick people, but by actually by the virus itself. Um, because Soderbergh uses a very matter-of-fact handling. Um, it's not, there's no real climax in the film, so to speak. It's a very... Um, uh, event by event by event kind of thing. He uses this um, counter day something day something to 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 track the events that's going on, um, and Soderbergh is into that kind of thing. You can't really expect him to make a big blockbuster movie with you know ups and downs and things like that. Um, but it's very subtle at how he builds that feeling uh, because it's so realistic. Um, you should, if you watch the film, notice how he always keeps the camera on the level of say our around our our stomach actually because that's the level of things like handlebars and doorknobs and Mm. he has a lot of shots of thing of close-ups of people touching things so it tells you it's showing you how this virus is spreading um with the close-ups visually is is expressing that so it made me after when after i watched the film i didn't really want to touch anything you know like walking down the stairs i don't want to touch the handle well you were here for sars I wasn't here for SARS. Oh, you weren't? I, think I weren't in the middle of the crisis. So oh. yeah, I was here when swine flu hit, and that was a bit, there were a lot yeah, of SARS, SARS was all about, you know, don't touch anything, and, every, yeah. you know, all the the um, custodial workers were out in force, like, every 30 minutes, swabbing down everything with bleach, and it was, it was crazy. Um, I remember going to the gym uh, at the time I was a member of... Uh, California. Mm. Uh, I'm now a member of physical because that's where Aaron is. No. <laughs> um, but uh, at the time, I was a member of California, the California Fitness Center. And I remember going in there and there was nobody there. And it was kind of nice because it's like I didn't have to wait to get on any machines or anything. But nobody was going out. Nobody was doing anything in public because everybody had this sense of, you know, just stay in, stay in home, stay in your home. Don't go out. Don't, you know, associate with people. Unless you have to, because, you know, this was during the time when nobody really knew um, what was going on, how it was being transmitted, really. They, they just kind of started figuring out it was, it was um, you know, by contact and not airborne. But, you know, even so, I think that uh, it, was, it was kind of scary at that time, but I yeah. could imagine something like this. I mean, society would just go nuts. Yeah, and, and the film does capture some of that because it's so wide it can't really spend the whole movie capturing that but there are a couple of um, scenes that capture that panic uh, it does quite well especially with the Matt Damon plot line and it, you know if the movie got me scared about touching surfaces and touching my face I would say at least it's partially successful uh, so you can't say it's a bad film at all because it, make, it it convinced you that this thing really is scary so it worked for what it was um, it is a little cold uh, the, the filmmaking style because it doesn't really have a thematic 
thematic thing. It doesn't really have a lesson. It's a, again, it's really matter of fact, almost documentary like, except you know these are all, there's some style in it, but it's almost documentary like, and it teaches more practical lessons, you know, like wash your hands and, and don't panic and, you know, th- stuff that don't really have any much weight. So you come out the film and you just feel like you've been through this experience, but you don't really learn. You don't really feel much for the characters until until that little bit of emotional emotional payoff in the end. But I'm used to Steven Soberg doing this type of exercise. Um, films like Che or even The Informant to a, to a, to a, to a, to a point. So for me, it's okay. If you're used to Soderbergh's kind of filmmaking, you know, you could be fine with that. The most of the plots are good. Um, Especially the stuff about researchers, uh, CDC, um, the doctor who played by an actress that I forgot the name for. Her 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 section was very strong. Um, the Marin Marin Coley Tart thing kind of started off well and then kind of went off the rails. Um, Matt Damon was what, the Matt Damon plotline also was strong because it showed some of that pan- panic and it was quite good that part. Um, but the blogger thing with Jude Law, uh, it was a little much. He even has like the, the bad teeth the bad you know <laughs> british teeth and he's got the snarky slimy blogger thing going on um you know i could see the point of it but it was a little much it didn't really quite belong in the story as well um but the cast overall was good Gwyneth paltrow um has very very small part but i know a cer- we know a certain friend that was that would be glad to see Gwyneth uh go- suffer and she does so so he'd be very glad to see her here um well and you know Matt Damon's great. Um, who else? Jude Law, snarky. Um, Kate Winslet, very strong. Lawrence Fishburne, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, yeah, most of them is good. I mean, they're all very strong actors, so you kind of expect this. Um, if you can stand, if you can handle the subject matter, it, it is at points. If you're scared of this kind of thing, you know, I understand why you wouldn't want to watch it. But if you have a slight interest in this kind of topic and see how they pull it off, um, I would say TV it. I'm not so sure. Um, I would even say see it um, to a point um, because it is a well, it's a fairly solid film. I can't say it's a great film, but it's not a bad film either. But uh, it is playing on IMAX, and I have no idea why. Um, it's probably just because. There's no no big film to fill that gap in September for IMAX screen, so this is the film they used, uh, and I would say forget it. It's shot on the red, and it's on the on the more vertically friendly um, 1.85 ratio, but it's not really a film for that format. So um, TV it to see it, but don't IMAX it. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Alright, time to move on to comments. We got a couple comments this week. Uh, first from G Song on iTunes who wrote us back, said, Happy two years. I listen every week. Great job, guys. Uh, and he gave us five stars. Thank you very much, Jisong. We really Thank appreciate you. the support and the long listenership. Um, knowing that you're out there enjoying the show really makes it all the more worthwhile for us to be here to do it. Uh, see, on the website, Gary Lau wrote in. He said uh, he just came back from watching Love in Space, which we talked about earlier. And to be honest, it sucked. 
He said you know, he felt that there was chemistry, but at the same time, it kind of reminds me of a poor man's eat man, drink woman. Is that right? Er, I thought it was eat, drink, man, woman. Or er. I know what he was saying, but yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, he says, I feel like the subplot with Ethan Chan and Kwailan May was fine. The teddy bear scene was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I see that, yeah, that's going to be humanly possible unless your toad is super strong. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, there's a teddy bear scene that's done for sort of com comedic relief. And, you know, it's not possible. But then again, the stuff they were doing in space was not possible either. So I had less of a problem with the teddy bear scene than I did with the space stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he says, Chapman Toe's appearance was too brief. Yes, Chapman Toe makes a cameo. Um, Would have liked to see more of him. Uh, he also mentions that Johnny Toe has said uh, during a Q&A session that he attended that Election 3 is now under development and he is expecting production to start sometime in 2014-2015. That's a long way <laughs> off. Uh, we might actually have democracy in Hong Kong by the time he finishes the movie. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a real election. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know... I can see why he's aiming for it because 2016 is the year we're supposed to be able to elect our own chief executive. So I, is I it can 2016 see why or I thought it was 2017? Uh, around that. Well, okay, then he won't be done with the film until 2017, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah, and, and if Johnny Toast says something like this, it just, he just, I think he might be taking the piss. It's like, yeah, sure, it's under development. I just take <laughs> years on it. I got a bunch of China films to make yeah. before that. As so, long as he doesn't do another dog food scene. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always expected, expressed interest in doing it, and I guess it would take at least two or three years to gain the funding because this film is not going to go to China. He's not aiming for China at all with it, so it'll be one of his pet projects. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I hope it, he pulls it off. Yeah. Well, if it, I mean, the only thing we know for sure is that he'd have to bring Louis Koo back, right? Yeah, I mean, suppose that Louis Koo doesn't hurt his foot again, or <laughs> leg, whatever, yeah. Um, all right, so there's there's some comments. Uh, would you like to leave some comments? Well, you can. We'll tell you how to do that in just a moment. But that's it. That's our show. And uh, that's uh, number 83. Wow. Um so you can uh, catch our show over on Stitcher. Now, uh, you can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher Smart Radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support. Um, so if you don't find us at Stitcher, where else can you find us? You can find us on our website at www.concast.com. Uh, you can find us over on iTunes, and we'd love for to hear from you there, like uh, like G-Song. You can leave us a review, five stars or less, if you think there's some things we need to fix. We're happy to uh, take whatever feedback you have to offer. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast, to follow the show. Or you can follow Mr. Ma and his daily exploits and bloggings and musings on all things China and China Film at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word. You can email us here at the show directly at eScreen at gmail.com. And if you'd like to, you can attach an audio file, MP3 format, with a question, a comment, a short review, and we might just play it here on the show. Yay! Um, Mr. Ma, what do you have going on? Anything big in the writing world? Uh, this week, uh, I wrote the review for Bridesmaids on www. So you saw that already? Lucky yeah, I dog. saw it on uh, Tuesday. It was a, it had all preview showings on Monday. Yeah, and they were doing they were doing some preview shows, but um, I'm waiting for Saturday morning. 
because oh, okay. the yeah, no. wife really wants to see it. So yeah, it's it's a fine film. Uh, I saw a review for that on www.ypmovies.com.hk. Um, you can catch my reviews of English language films playing in Hong Kong uh, pretty much on a weekly basis on that website. Um, eventually, I will also write something for www.lovehkfilm.com. Until then, you can also check out my weekly editor's pick on w- in the uh, Yum Cha section of uh, www.yesasia.com. Uh, I am under the name Rockman. Uh, you can also check out editor's pick by my fellow talented editors, uh, at the company as well. All right. Uh, a couple questions. How come YP doesn't o- only covers English movies? Why don't they cover the uh, local stuff? Um, I for the Chinese sites. Uh, for the Chinese site, there are Chinese reviews for Chinese films. But I think this figured people who read the English site doesn't need any. There's no need for the service for the Chinese language films. They're so wrong. Only, yeah. Yeah. They're wrong. But I, there's, I guess there's not enough resources anyway to to cover every film. Um, you could do it. You're the Golden Rock. Oh, my. you can do no, anything. No, they. Yeah, I have. I am only one person, so I can't cover everything on there. Nor can my fellow reviewers. So that's that's about all we can do, mm-hmm. I guess. Or they can't afford it, or whatever. You know, I can't. Their mistake. Um, also, second question: Anything good coming out in the uh, next week or so on DVD or Blu-ray wise that people should look be on the lookout for? Usha, Usha, starring uh, Donnie Yen and Takeshi Kaneshiro coming out next week on DVD and Blu-ray. This week, we will get the Chinese film The Warring States, which we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. Right, mm-hmm. Paul? Yeah. Uh, I guess that's something. That's the first thing. That, uh, is that also Blu-ray or just DVD? No Blu-ray because Mei has stopped doing Blu-ray, so uh, only DVD. Um, out right now, if you want to catch what Kozo is calling the trifecta of terrible but enjoyable, terrible films this year. Uh, Mysterious Island Virtual Recall and Charlie Foot are all out in video stores. So mm. try and try and grab those as well if you really like you know, we were, we were talking about this Saturday at yeah. the uh, secret lair of the one who goes by the name of Kozo. Um, but I got to tell you, uh, I, I'm thinking Treasure Hunt is <laughs> my worst of the year so far. Uh, oh, it's pretty bad. Chase, I love it. Yeah, yeah we were saying, you know, the, the, the list for the worst is uh, is gone up there. See, I haven't seen Chase Our Love yet, but it's it's huge this year. Um, and we're, it is irredeemable. It is the only really irredeemable movie I've seen. But there's been so many bad movies this year. It's like yes, that, that list is going to be bigger than the list of good movies. Well, yeah, but I mean, some, you know, most of these bad films that has one or two redeemable points about them. Even. Yeah. Even to a point, Treasure Hunt, you know, Celia does act professionally. And, uh, and uh, there's some stuff that, okay, well, it's pretty irredeemable too. But Chase Our Love is almost, uh, it's, it's like a cancer. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is like, it is like, there's no redeemable point whatsoever. It is so just dead from the beginning. We'll have yeah, to get a copy that's... so we can talk about it on the show. Yeah, and it's not even enjoyable because it's not even amusing. Virtual Recall is terrible, but it's amazingly yeah. terrible. Yeah. Uh, Chole Foot, you know, it's fun. Yeah, Mysterious is Island Chole... is is amazingly bad, but at least it's funny enough right. that you can laugh at it. Right, but 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 Chase Our Love is just that movie is irredeemable. Mm. All right, well, there's that. If you're interested, uh, check out Wuxia. Definitely worth uh, picking up on Blu-ray. Yep. Uh, so that's our show. Next show, episode 84. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple new movies. Lang Kwai Fong, um, the latest from Wilson Chin, right? 
the director. Yep. And the director uh, of Summer Love Love. Actually, we've both already seen it, and uh, I would, I'm dying to talk about it a little bit. Uh, um, but we'll get to that. Uh, I want to talk week. about the audience for the film. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, let's see. Choi uh, Le Foot Kung Fu. The second of the Choi Le Foot films to come out this year. Um, I've managed to catch it. Hopefully, if he has access, uh, Mr. Ma will get a chance to see it. We'll talk about that next week. And yeah. the film that Kevin just mentioned, Bridesmaids, should be up for West Screen. So all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody.